Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 4, Term 4. These are the last two lessons for the year. This is Lesson 35. And uh, we are going to begin a new subsection, the last subsection, in fact, in Chapter 16. Uh, that is on page 20 on my book, in my book anyway, subtitled, Jesus Heals the Multitude. Okay. Um, I'd like to begin with a quote from Leon Morris, who writes, Somehow Jesus came to know of this plot to kill him. His reaction was to avoid provocation. Remember again, that following the healing uh, of, of the man with the withered hand, that the religious leaders were very opposed to him. Amen? And uh, really wanted to do him harm. And so, Leon Morris says, somehow Jesus came to know of this plot to kill him. His reaction was to avoid provocation. He would die courageously when the time came, but he would not engage in needless provocation of his enemies until his ministry drew to its close. Now, it's something really interesting there, and that is, and you know, as we grow up in the Word, and as we start to exercise our faith, and we begin to understand the power of God that is on our life, and that's available to us, we really need to then come to a place where we need to be careful how we exercise that power. Um, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Amen? God gives us a lot, but He also expects a lot from us. And the more power you have, the more merciful you really need to be. Amen? Amen. And understand that you can do things, but the big question is, should you? Um, and this is where Jesus, you know, Jesus with one wave of a hand, he could have just literally uh, caused them all just to fall over, basically. You know what I'm trying to say? Uh, it wasn't a problem for him, but he didn't do that. Uh, we know, we, we get a little glimpse of this, remember when the soldiers come to arrest him, and he speaks the words, I am, and they all fall over. <laughs> okay, uh, th- That power was always there. Uh, it wasn't something that was growing in him. It was there from the moment he was baptized in the, uh, you know, in the River Jordan. He received that power. It came down on him, as we know. Um, and he had it from then on. And that's the reason why we see that he, he we're going to see that today as well, that he healed them all. That, that is tremendous power. Okay. So let's read in Matthew 12.15. It says, but when Jesus knew it, that is the plot to kill him, he withdrew from there, that's the synagogue, and great multitudes followed him, emphasizing, I'm on the next page, the immense popularity of Jesus and the extreme need of the people. And it says, and he healed them all. Hallelujah. Now, I want to draw your attention to two things here. Number one, Notice that they followed him. They didn't stay in the synagogue. Interesting, isn't it? While, the, while his opponents were trying to show him up, the people realized the hypocrisy in what they were doing. And also realized that the, you know, the place to be is with the man with power, not the one that's carrying on and causing strife constantly. Now, I, I want to bring something out there as well. You know, our ministry should be one of... Uh, quietness, peaceable. Amen? Yeah, we all lose it sometimes. Yours included, okay? And we regret those times. But the thing is, on the whole, alright, we should be people of peace. And, you know, whatever happens, it needs to be that, you know, one thing I've learned is, the less you defend yourself, (laughs) it's a funny thing, the more people are on your side. 
Can I say that again? The less you defend yourself, the more you'll find people are on your side. Because as soon as you begin to defend yourself, you always do it at the expense of someone else. Are you all here? And people have enough knowledge to know what's kind of generally going on. And the person that's making the accusation, usually, if you don't defend yourself, they'll look at them and go, hmm, critical eye. They'll look at them and go, you're not being fair to this person. This is what's going on here. And I want you to see this. And so while the Pharisees were trying to make their point and, and say, see, we're right, we know the law, the people thought, you, you just you know, live with your law, we're going to follow this guy, because he heals people. He speaks words of life. There is compassion in his eyes. All we see from you is judgment constantly. Are you all with me? I'm saying this because that's the people that you need to be, that we need to be, I need to be. Amen? Alright. Now, although Matthew is wonderfully accurate and concise in his record of events here, Mark is a little more detailed in his gospel account. So while Matthew 12.15 begins by saying he withdrew from there, Mark's parallel account, that's in Mark 3.7, says, But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. That's the Sea of Galilee. Alright. Now, first of all, at this stage, Jesus' disciples are Simon, Andrew, James, John, and Matthew, and perhaps Philip and Nathaniel, we're not sure. However, uh, whether they are all present with him at this point in time is unknown, since Jesus had not yet appointed the twelve. He's going to do that right after this, in fact. Next, as to his withdrawing to the sea, William Hendrickson explains, up to this point, Mark has recorded four clashes, whether direct or indirect, between Jesus and the Pharisees. The most bitter of these were the first, when the opponents in their hearts accused Jesus of blasphemy, uh, after he forgave and healed the paralytic that was lowered uh, from the roof of the, ho- uh, of the house he was preaching in. Remember by the four men? And the fourth, so I'm go- we're going from the first to the fourth, and the fourth after he healed the man with the paralyzed hand in the synagogue. Right? When they began to scheme how they might destroy him. That's the thing that we've just seen. At the close of his first confrontation, Jesus went to the seashore. It is not surprising, therefore, that now too, after the fourth collision, he withdrew to the seashore. Both times it is from inside a building, a crowded house or a synagogue, that he retires to the seashore. Now, let me say one more thing. From a practical point, an open space was much more desirable than a closed, limiting structure like a house or a building. Especially since Matthew 12.15 went on to say, and great multitudes followed him. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. Jesus, we need to remember where he comes from. We need to understand that Jesus has come from heaven. Okay? He is, see... He is the creator of all things. We know that from Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 16, 17, somewhere in there. Anyway, it tells us that all things are created by Him and for Him. I really need you to get a picture of something right now. This is the creator of the universe. He didn't make a little universe. It's a huge universe. This is the creator of, of this vast expanse. And what He wants to do requires that kind of expanse almost because of the number of people that are coming to Him. And so when he's ever in a house, it's, 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 it's kind of like putting somebody in you know, a tiny little shed who's used to open fields. But he'll still do, I, I think it's in, incredible that he still respects that that's the place everybody goes to, that's where people are used to going to and comfortable. But when it gets difficult, 
he backs off and he says, you know what, this is not going to work anymore because of what's going on. One of the interesting things is in a building, you have a front row of seats where all the Pharisees can sit down and go see, we're important, we're sitting in the front row, you understand. And anybody takes their seat, they better move. Hello, okay, <laughs> alright. But guess what, when you are out there in the fields, on the seashore, there's no front seats. You get the front sand. You get the front dirt. Whatever. You want to sit there? Go right ahead. (laughs) You know what I'm trying to say? And I think that's really important that Jesus moves out and he takes this to the seashore because he's going to say, all right, who's really interested? Who really wants to know? Let's see. When it's comfortable and indoors and everything else, and and it is limiting, you'll come. But (laughs) let's see what happens when I move out. And then what, what do we see here? All the pe- not the leaders, all the people followed, which is the reason he healed them all, because none of these strife-filled, uh, you know, leaders followed him. I'm sure some of them had something wrong with them. Are you all? <laughs> I'm trying to say, okay, all right. But I think it's interesting that as he moved out, the people followed. He, he was able to heal them all because they were the people they were expecting. They wanted more. And they were sick of the religion that was there. And can I use these words? That was peddled in their synagogue. Okay. Here again, Matthew is accurate and concise. Mark is more specific about the great multitudes and happens to be the only gospel writer who at this point in Jesus' ministry not only tells us that the masses came from all parts of Palestine, to see and hear him, but goes on to actually list where they came from. In Mark chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, and I think this is of tremendous importance. In Mark chapter 7, verse, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 3, verse 7, it says, And a great multitude from Galilee followed him. And I'm going to put, I'm going to add the words a great multitude because that's exactly what it means. We kind of lose that sometimes in just reading this, but I want to insert it. Is that okay? Let me insert it. And a great multitude from Jerusalem and Idumea. Now these are the Edomites, the descendants of Esau. That's Jacob's brother. And beyond the Jordan, specifically east of the Jordan, called Perea, ruled by Herod Antipas, and those from Tyre and Sidon, two Phoenician cities on the Mediterranean coast, north of Galilee, a great multitude, when they heard how much things he was doing, came to him. So first of all, The news about what took place in Galilee reached far and wide, both within the nation and outside of the nation. And notice why they came to him, because, for better or worse, they heard about the things he was doing. All right, say better or worse, because he did clear out the temple, and (laughs) you know, all right, okay. So even though Jesus, now this is the point I want to make, even though Jesus may not have traveled much, a lot of people have said that. I don't know if you've heard this or not. You know, they've said with a critical voice, said, you know, Jesus didn't travel far. You know, he was very local. He really didn't go very far. He really, you know, with the, the attitude of he really didn't know much. He didn't, you know, he was kind of like a little country guy and he just hung around his little hometown, basically that area, didn't go anywhere. Do you know why? Because their call came to him. Amen. Now this is, this is a key point. This is a key point. 
I've said here, that's why even though Jesus may not have traveled much, his ministry was far-reaching and had an effect on people from every corner of the globe. In other words, when you are in God's perfect will, you don't have to go anywhere because they will hear about it and come to you. Amen? Now, that that is a key thing. That is something that churches that rely on business don't acknowledge and, and, and don't have it as one of, uh, I guess, their key way of growing. Amen? And which also tells me something, that if you don't have uh, the power of God operating, and you don't have the favor of God on your ministry to bring those people in, then it's not time yet for them to come in. Can I say that again? Okay. See... So many people uh, measure success with numbers. All right? And so since you measure success by the numbers that you have in your church, then what, what, is the, what really becomes the bottom line? How do we increase the number in our church? Do, do you understand? So, and then, then the next question isn't how do we do it in God? The next question is how do we do it as a business? What you know forms of advertising can we use? What can we promise people and give little things and bags and all sorts of things away so that they'll come? And so this it becomes a marketing ploy how to increase numbers. Because you understand that's kind of what makes you know a church successful. Are you all with me? And so so what they'll do is say, well, see, Jesus had multitudes following him, so we want multitudes, how do we get it? Uh, let's not heal the sick and do all that stuff, because we can't do that, because we don't pray enough to do that. <laughs> okay. What we want to do is, let's hire some, some marketing dude, some marketing guru, that will then not only show us how to advertise our church, and, 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 and you know, tell us what all we need to do to make it look nice and smell nice and, and everything else. But you know, they'll also then later on show us how we can extract money from the people with all kinds of little schemes and stuff. And you know, we'll do this for you. And if you do this, then you can join this club over here if you give this amount. And all of those things are not God. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? One thing I've learned, and this is the reason why, you know, I just think, you know what? If something isn't growing, it's not time for it to grow yet. It's that simple. And it might be a blessing in disguise. Because there might be things that need to happen, roots that need to go down before that it can support the tree that is coming. Amen. Are you all here? Amen. Because as the tree begins to grow upward, then it will become susceptible to all the winds and all the elements. Do you understand that while something is short, you can have the biggest wind blowing, and if it's a little stump on the ground, well, it's buckly, the wind is going to do anything to it. Are you all with me? You know? And so, there are all these churches that grow really quickly without any roots. And so the first kind of storm that comes along, remember Jesus talked about those storms and the two builders. And, okay? The storm comes along, the more surface area you have, the more likely you're going to get taken down. The bigger the church is, the more likely it will go down. That's the reason why they said, you know, they said so many churches fail. Do you know why? Because they never should have succeeded in the way they did to begin with. They put themselves out there, and got hit by a storm that they weren't ready because the roots hadn't gone down. Are you all with me? Amen. And so, that's why, you know, with, with, with ministry, what, that, that was the lesson I learned. I thought, God, when the time comes, 
You'll release power in this ministry. You'll do the things that need to happen in order for this to grow. In the way it grew for Jesus. Like I said, we want Jesus' ministry. We don't want our own. We don't want to have a popular church. We want to have a spiritual church. Amen. Amen. We want God's church in this earth. We want a church that is without spot or blemish. A glorious church. Amen. Fulfilling God's perfect will. And you know something? You don't need a lot of people to do a lot. Sometimes the less you have, the better. Because you can, you know, look at what's happening right now. You guys are getting basically almost one-on-one ministry. If there was like 300 people here, you know, you won't get this as much. I won't be able to see your faces like this and talk to you like this. You know what I'm trying to say? Okay. And, and the time is coming when that will happen. But the thing is that these roots need to go down first before all the others come in. And then you'll be surprised at how much that has actually gone in and taken root in your heart and in your life from all of what we've been doing here. And in a year or two years or three, whatever it is, what, whenever you know, God decides to do what He wants to do, you'll go, wow, thank God it happened you know, at that point in time and not here and now. Because dear Lord, we weren't, we, <laughs> now it's a funny thing. You get wisdom, the more you grow, the more wisdom you get. And then you realize what you don't know. Amen. You know, when I first started ministry, I wanted everything to happen yesterday. Now, <laughs> it's the total opposite. Let me just say that and leave it. Okay. <laughs> We've grown. So, getting back to this, I want, you to, I want you to understand something, and I want you to take solace in something, that when it is God's will, and when it's God's time, people will come from everywhere to you, to hear. Amen? But if they're not coming, it's not time. Praise God. And praise God for both. Because when he brings them, he, it becomes his responsibility to take care of them, not ours. If we bring them, it's our responsibility. Amen. Okay. Now, because of the sheer size of the crowd and the eagerness of the people to get close enough to Jesus to touch him, that was becoming a problem. And that's why it goes in the saying, he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. It was just... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was just getting so people, you know, in their desperation. A lot of times they don't even realize, you know, the, the hurt they might cause in wanting to get to a place where there is my solution, there is my answer. So from this description, and there's something incredible that, that I want to bring out in this. From this description, the inference here seems to be that the multitude were more interested in satisfying their physical needs than in receiving God's word. And just in case they became too aggressive in their pursuit, they needed to, they, uh, there needed to be a backup plan. There's an important lesson to be learned here. I'll talk about this in a minute. And that is, even though Jesus was God manifested in the flesh and had all faith, he was still intensely practical in his approach to life without being unspiritual or unbelieving in any way or form. See, he had a backup plan. He didn't say, don't worry about it, boys. If they get too close, I'll just float up. Or, remember, he can walk on water. I'll just back up. <laughs> okay? you know, that would have been an awesome thing to see. He, he, remember, he can do this. Like I said, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Hmm? He could have just backed up and backed up onto the ocean. And he wouldn't have gone down. He would have just been walking on the water. But then they would have done something else. Because later on, he's going to have this problem where they're going to see him as someone that they want to forcibly make king because of the power that they're seeing displayed. 
And they're thinking, oh, I think this is the person that's going to take down the Roman government and that can do this for us. Free us from this bondage that we've been shackled with for the longest time. Amen? And so he's, see, like I said, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Nothing should be done out of pride. Because that would have, been, would have been just like when the devil said, jump off this pinnacle, and you know the angels would be, and they would have. Are you kidding? Michael, the archangel? He would have been the first in line. He would have said, I'll take you down, man. Don't you worry about it. Amen. Because remember, you know, those angels are just wanting to just let people know, this is your Messiah, you dumb whatever. Seriously, you know, the angels know. Even the demons know. We'll see that in a minute too. And I better get on with this. Okay. I'm sorry. There's just so much here. Continuing in Mark 3.10. It goes on to explain the reason for the pressing multitudes. And that is, for he healed many. In the same way we would explain, he healed so many people is incredible. That's how Mark is putting it. While Matthew is, a, is more accurate when he reports that he healed them all. Remember we read that before? Okay. So that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. In his commentary, John MacArthur explains that the term afflictions is sometimes translated plagues or scourges and metaphorically describes various painful, agonizing physical ailments and illnesses. Now are you getting a picture? These are people that just want to be free of their pain and their suffering and they've just been with things for the longest time and they just want, to, they want it to stop. Remember, they didn't have the sort of things that we have today. And, you know, as, as, as time progresses, we're finding more and more cures for more and more things. But back then, you know, things weren't so good. Amen? And you can see a desperation. So, this was the press of desperate people with dreadful problems, trying to fight their way through the crowds to get their hands on this miracle worker that they had heard so much about. Now, remember again, I said that, you know, from the look of this, it looks like they're more interested in getting their healing than hearing the word. You can understand it's very hard to sit down and hear the word when you're in pain. Okay, so I want to explain that out right now. All right? And that's the reason why one of the things that we used to do in the past, and I'm starting to, you know, if you've noticed, the service now, when we finish our praise and worship, that we play music for a little bit. The reason is, in the past, I used to pray for people. Because the Lord said something to me, and He's reinstating that now, and we're, we're doing a split. So let me share with you, Bible college students, all right, what, what's going on, was that it's hard for people to listen when they're in pain. Mm-hmm. And so what I, and what I did was, at one point in time, I actually prayed for people, once the praise and worship finished, while there was an anointing, that I would pray for people then, and then I would preach and dismiss. But that became very long, because sometimes people will come in, you know, they come and talk to you, you know, tell you the whole story. Everybody's standing there waiting, like, you know, and they're telling you the whole story. And you're just thinking, okay, I I just need to lay hands, I'll pray for you. So, I stopped that because of it. Alright, so I said, alright, let's just do it at the end. But there was still this problem. So, in prayer, God said, split it. (laughs) If people, if there are people that need something taken care of straight away, alright, because it's going to hinder their ability to hear, then pray for them then. So that's why now we have that time as God leads. Now if God doesn't lead me to do something, I'm not going to do it because it's just not there. Okay, I'm not going to do stuff off of my own back. 
But that's what we're doing now. We're making room for God to move in that time before we minister the word. If there is a need, if somebody's in pain and it's making it difficult for them to hear the word, then we need to lay hands on them. We need to pray for them. We need to get them past that point. Amen? And then what we do is can minister the word, and then at the end, then we can call up all the stories. and okay, All the ones that want to come up that aren't in, a, uh, in immediate need of prayer. And then take our time and pray for them. So that's kind of what's happening, and that's the reason why it's happening. And um, that way I feel like we get the best of both worlds. Are you all here? Amen? And we want to see the, the Spirit of God move as well. And uh, I, I, I know that God will prophesy things and, and bring some prophetic utterances in those times as well. And, and it was something that I moved in in the past a great deal, but stopped for, you know, for various reasons. And I'm just feeling an open door again to start moving in that. So that's kind of what's going on there, just, just so you guys know what's happening. Let's get back to this. I want to share some of these things with you because you're Bible college students, and I think it's important that you know. Amen? Alright. So this was again the, the press of desperate people. No one in the Old Testament, his, or in all of Old Testament history, had ever exhibited such extensive healing power. Not only healing everyone, but also healing every kind of sickness and disease, whether known or unknown. Now that's really key. So not only was Jesus able to heal everyone, but... Whether they knew what the disease was or didn't, you know, whether they didn't know what it was, you know, people go, I got this really funny rash and I don't know, okay, you know, or whatever. Uh, there are things even today that doctors don't know. They just kind of send you home and go, you know what, we don't know what to do. Okay, there's some really funny things going on out there. Isn't it wonderful that faith doesn't care about all that? We care, but faith doesn't. And that's one of the things that I'm learning and I'm realizing more and more that I don't need to know all the details about the sickness. All I need to know is if you lay hands on them, they'll recover. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter that you have any understanding of what they've got. Doesn't matter that <clears throat> they take half an hour to explain what they had. It still takes the same amount of time to lay hands and take and watch them recover. Amen? And, and I, I think sometimes people want to, and let me just share this with you because there will come a time, mark my words, that you guys will be laying hands on the sick. I know that sounds shocking to you right now, but it'll come a time when you just, God will move on you and you just, it'll be the most natural thing for you to do. Okay? Okay. I said in time. Okay. Don't freak out. And when, when, when that happens, you need to know this. You need to know that it doesn't matter how much somebody explains what the sickness is. In fact, sometimes it's better if you don't know. Seriously. Because your faith isn't in, okay, tell me everything you know, and I will now see if I can use my faith to attack everything that you said. I think it's really significant that it says, and these signs will follow those who believe. And it goes through a whole list of things, and it says, and they shall lay hands on the sick, without needing to know what the sickness is, can I add that? And they will recover. All you need to have faith in is these hands, there's a body, that's sick, healed. As soon as it hits it, it's gone. Amen? Now, advance from that is speak the word only. That's going to take a little more time. Okay. <laughs> okay. But there are places you can go from there, just so you know. Praise God. Let's, let's move on. And so there was no way that they were going to miss out, these are the people, okay, on perhaps their one and only chance of becoming free of their pain and agony, like the woman with the issue of blood, once and for all. 
Continuing on to Mark uh, 3.11, and we'll stop here. I will introduce this verse. It says, And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. Wow. Now, when we come back, I want to look at this, because it's really interesting to see, like I said to you before, not only do the angels of God know that he is the Son of God, but we're going to see something here that they are going to look into this person and recognize something. And I want to bring that out because you need to know when you walk into a situation that God is in you. And things will look at you and recognize what's in you. They won't see you, they'll see what is in you. See, that's, how, that's what the devil works with constantly. You know, all the people that look nice on the outside and, you know, all those whitewashed tombstones. <laughs> okay, can I use that word? Okay, he sees right past all the facades and sees right into what's actually going on. He knows the life they live. He knows, so, you know, they can say all kinds of things. He knows what he can do to bring them down. He also knows when God walks in. Doesn't matter what uh, vessel contains him. He knows when God walks in. And it could be a female vessel or a male vessel. There's no difference. And when, when you walk in, he knows he's in trouble. So he, and that's very interesting. Remember they said, Jesus we know, Paul we know. Who are you? But they know Jesus and Paul. They know Leo and Susanna and Lionel and Susan and Jamie. They know you. Do you hear me? Somebody preached a message once and said, Are you known in hell? <laughs> okay? And that was from a positive point where they know who you are. They got posters of you down there and throw darts at you because you make life so miserable for them. <laughs> okay? With that, we'll take a break and come back and continue on with this.